Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. You want the truth? You can't handle the truth. Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here are your hosts, Rob Dalrymple and Vinny Angelo. Hey, welcome in everyone. And we are uh, closing out. I feel it's like the end of a, a TV show, like the last season. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, it's yeah. going to be over now. We're finishing this. I guess we can come back and revisit it again. We but we the hug at the end of the show. I know, exactly. <laughs> the whole cast comes out and bows and everyone's crying. Uh, but we're over Zoom. So I guess you and me aren't going to hug. Yeah, anything. well, air hugs. <laughs> For people who don't want to be emotionally available. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I should have screenshotted that picture. So uh, we, we've done a few weeks on Christian nationalism. Uh, this is this feels like the next topic that I'm going to be spending the next decade of my life studying. I don't know about you. I, I, I think I like we're developing it, right? It's like yeah. more and more stuff's coming out. Yeah, I, I hope not. But the reality is, yeah, yeah, of course. Like this is the next thing that. So, uh, yeah, we, we I mean, great interviews. Uh, I was so bummed out to miss last week because mm-hmm. man, you guys just had a great conversation yeah. uh, with 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 your with the pastor friends. Yeah, and let me begin there, Vinny. Just you know, if you weren't with us in the last episode, we we prayed for you to the listeners. If you weren't with us at the beginning, mm-hmm. uh, we prayed for you. And and do you have any updates on your family? What's happening? And yeah, I, so it was actually last Tuesday morning we were going to record the episode. And I my, my dad has been battling COVID the last couple months. Mm. Uh, so he, he, he actually contracted at the end of September. And so he's been in and out of the hospital, mostly in the hospital for the last uh, two months, but he, uh, yeah, he actually got put on a ventilator uh, mm. that, that Tuesday morning. So yeah, okay. it, it was just, uh, just literally, I found out about yeah. it like an hour later. I'm like, dude, I, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I'm, I'm not in the space for that. I'm like, you're excused. That's yeah, good. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, so I, I appreciate you. you being gracious on that one. And I, I was yeah. bummed out, honestly, to, yeah, to miss that, but got to be in the right space. So yeah, yeah, thanks for everyone who's praying for me. Absolutely. And, and we'll continue more importantly, my dad. Yeah. 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 So what we want to do here, and the reason why we didn't plan this one initially to do a fifth episode, but in the interviews with the pastors that we and that discussion, I'm thinking, okay, oh, man, we got to go back and just kind of reiterate a few of these points because I'm not sure that everyone is taking away everything that they need to be taking away from these episodes. And so I want to kind of reiterate some of these points. And so I thought, hey, Vinny, let's do one more episode where we kind of just bring it to us a climax. And what I told you to do or asked you to do, I didn't tell you to do anything. Why don't we each come up with our two or three big takeaways from the episodes? You know, what are the things that we feel the strongest about or the biggest, most significant things? And then we'll kind of just discuss them. So mm-hmm. why don't you start first, Vinny? What's your, maybe your first big takeaway? My first big takeaway actually started over the summer because uh, over the summer you and I had talked, you had talked about bringing David Crump on and, and I wasn't familiar with him at that point. So I, I picked up both Pledge of Allegiance and got an early copy of uh, Birds in a Cage. And the, so the biggest thing, and I, I was excited to, to read those books. They were, they were interesting. But uh, one of the things that I found myself falling into was not knowing David, not knowing his, just mm. literally his voice. Yeah. I didn't give him as much charity as I should have as a writer mm. oh. uh, because, because it made this, this happens where we infer things, yeah. we infer tone. We just don't know the person's, you know, maybe where they're coming from and how, and how they're communicating. And so I painted a picture of someone who actually ended up not being that picture. And, and you and I have gotten to know David, you know, I, I'm not going to say really well, but there's, there's been a good friendship that's been developed. Uh, and even like, you know, he and I have engaged over email, you know, about various things. And just getting to know him and realizing that like, wow, this man is like, he's just a gem of a person, right? Yeah, right. But but recognizing his heart behind things. And so even when he comes off really strong on a yeah. point, 
I read it in a certain way that once you get to know him, it's like, okay, this is not how he intended it. And since I know the man, I inferred the information wrong. And that's just something that reminds me of saying, okay, I need to be aware of that. That was someone who I was sympathetic towards and I, I was excited to learn about. How often do I do that against someone who I don't share mm-hmm. a perspective with? Right. Uh, where, where I'm not giving charity, where I'm, I'm going to assume the worst. Uh, and that was just a really good reminder as someone who, in my own mind, I think I'm charitable. I'm just like, wait a minute, <laughs> there's a person behind the words that are written. And we're not always in a position, where, we're rarely in a position where we actually get to know the person on the other side of the book. Uh, I was fortunate to do that, but I, that's just something that, you know, I just need to be, be mindful of. So that was point number one for me that I, that I took away, just a super practical thing, which I think is relevant to this conversation, right? Sure. Because when we're engaging in this realm of mm-hmm. dialogue and discourse, it's so easy to misinterpret what people are saying. And any we discourse. Yeah. Any yeah. dialogue. And I think that's just applicational to all of life that living out the gospel of loving your enemies and loving your neighbor means giving them charity starting from a position of charity, yeah, you know, and assuming the best. And that's so hard to do, uh, especially in the work environment for many, you know, the secular work environment, people just get in. It's just, it's a dog eat dog world. And, mm-hmm. you know, the ancient Roman world is just one of those, I step on you so that I can get yeah. ahead of you. And well, that's the way our workplace is so often. And so that, that's really cool. Good. Yeah, we, we still live in a shame and honor society, don't we? <laughs> yeah. Not as much as the biblical no. world or you know, as much as Oriental world today mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. Middle Eastern world today, but it's still there. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, yeah, so that was, that was kind of the first thing I, you know, took away. Uh, so yeah. What, what about for you? Well, for me, and I think the reason for this conversation tonight is because my biggest takeaway was I was a little surprised and maybe I shouldn't have been, I don't know why I was with how strongly our pastoral guests mm-hmm. came across of passionate about this issue. I thought, well, wow. Okay. Not only are they, uh, equipped and prepared to have this conversation, but they're passionate about this. Mm-hmm. And, and I didn't pick them because I'm like, okay, I, this guy's going to be great. And this, yeah. I, I just picked them because I, I know these people they're in ministry. I know they're gifted in these areas and I know they're uh, passionate about ministry. And I thought, Hey, is this affecting you guys? I didn't actually have anything in on my agenda going, Oh yeah, I know it's affecting them and let's bring them up because it's going to really help mm-hmm. solidify our arguments. And they came across, in my opinion, and my thoughts, like, this is a huge problem. Like, Mm -hmm. okay, cool, because I think it is too. And what was intriguing was the fact that essentially they're younger pastors. And I've been processing this for a number of years. And one of the things I've come to realize is the fact that there's a massive disconnect on a number of different issues between the older Christians and the younger generations. And both of them are, are great people, meaning well, but man, there's a major disconnect. We have had, I think you and I talked about this one time, we have had in the last 25 years, a cultural revolution Mm -hmm. that has taken place that is textbook writing, history-making revolution. You know, there are certain eras Mm -hmm, in the history of the world. We say, you know, the Reformation, you know, Martin Luther and John Calvin, that was history-making a period of time. We're in that moment now, and it's hard to see it when you're in the middle of it, but it is. The generation of my generation and older, and the generation of younger than, than, than me, you know, your generation and younger... They, they're, they're, in, they're in different worlds. They are radically different worlds. Even by the way, my daughter is uh, 18. My youngest son's 25, 25, 27, and 29. My boys are, you know, the kids. And my daughter was raised in almost a different world than yeah. my boys. Yep. It, it just is. And I don't think the older generation understands that. You know, they think it's, oh, it's about music in the congregation. It's like, no, it's, and the difference, of course, is on this issue. And, and I, think, I think Jackie Parks made comment about the fact that 
they're dealing with people that they're trying to bring into these church plants who go, I don't want anything to do with evangelicals. Mm -hmm. And the reason why they don't want anything to do with evangelicals is because evangelicals and politics and evangelicals mm -hmm. and their embracing of nationalism. And so I thought, oh gosh, you know, I, I, this is great. I think we need to get together, have you and me get together and, and kind of just summarize this and go, folks, this is a lot bigger issue than you think and that you realize. Just like you, know, you said charity towards David Crump, it's like, we need to give charity to these voices here because they're crying out. Uh, and I don't think that we can hear their cry very well. And the way I would say it is, I think the gospel's at stake. This is fundamental to the gospel. And I'd say that on a, on a couple of different fronts. But the reality is, is that even within our own culture, my children, some of the kids in our congregations or that have left our congregations, are growing up in a world that says, I don't see the nation the way you see the nation. And I recognize the fact that if you're 70 or whatever, your generation says the wars that the United States fights are just wars mm -hmm. to keep peace, you know, Hitler and, and da, 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 coming from that. And we fight just wars, but the younger generation doesn't think that way. And they don't agree with that statement. Mm -hmm. And so, and you might not agree, well, they're wrong because we, we only fight just, that's fine. But you need to recognize the fact that they don't think that way. And all of a sudden, and so when you are embracing a nation and as part of your faith, they're going, okay, I want nothing to do with your faith then. And so if that's the case, the gospel has to be first. It has to be central. And if that is a stumbling block to people in our own families, let alone our own communities, and it's a major stumbling block outside the church communities, and then you go globally, and Jackie brought up a really good point on that in her, her illustration there with Morocco and, and mm -hmm. uh, her, her experience coming back and having a lunch and going. Yeah. And, and I think Curtis talked about flags and, and his churches and his denomination. Like, we don't know. We're not going to have these. In our nation, our flag is a symbol of oppression against Christians. And so you realize, wait a second. So even if we just go outside our country where people in Middle Eastern countries or people in North Korea or whatever, they're going to go, okay, that's a bad country. Mm -hmm. And if your religion is associated with that country, then I don't want anything to do with your religion. If that's the case, folks, then we need to stop. We need to go, okay, disassociate ourselves from it. I might fully embrace it. I might in my heart feel that way, but I can't do that outwardly because it is harming our Christian witness. I mean, this is, it's truly a, if eating meat causes a brother to stumble, yeah. like, like that's what this is right there. And just to piggyback on this, the concept of living between movements and uh, just cultural speak and how uh, words and concepts don't mean what they used to. And, and right. just it, talking about that whole thing, older generation, younger generation. So on Saturday, this past Saturday was the Saturday after Thanksgiving. And so like a good husband, I was ordered to put Christmas lights up <laughs> and like we forgot about a year ago, we realized we didn't have enough Christmas lights last year, but mm -hmm. then you have to like match them. Right. So I'm, I'm running down to Lowe's to pick up Christmas lights, hopefully finding some of that match. And there's a, it must've been a local church uh, group. They were out on the corner of our main street in the city I live in right in front of Lowe's. They all have, there's probably like 50 people out there. They all have signs, different kind of evangelistic signs. Jesus is Lord. You could spend eternity with Jesus or in hell, you know, believe the gospel, you know, like the, these sorts of things. And it made me realize as I'm sitting there on my motorcycle, as they're uh, evangelizing me, like on, on the corner there, I'm like, this, this language does not mean anything to people right. younger than me. Because we live in a post-Christian society in which this is normal jargon, where 50 years ago, 
the average person would understand what you mean by repent of your sin. We're living in a postmodern culture where like just the idea that sin exists is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Right. And this isn't like a critique on postmodernism because I think there's an equally good critique on modernism in the enlightenment. Mm -hmm. Right. So so I'm not, that's, that's a different conversation, but like the words that are being used literally don't mean anything to the culture. So you're using insider Christianese terms on, on an evangelistic method that might've been popular 30, 50, a hundred, 200 years ago. It works that nomenclature works in that environment doesn't work anymore. And Mm -hmm. you say you have these well-meaning people that are evangelizing, but really all they're doing is causing distractions and almost accidents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like they're actually not communicating anything because they're speaking to a different cultural moment than they're living in. Yeah. In, in my generation and younger, I'm 43. Like they, they don't, they literally don't understand. You could literally put Greek up there. You could put, you know, Jesus is Lord. You could put, you know, Jesus Kyrios, And that would have made just as much sense. Yeah. It's like, I saw actually a football game last weekend. There was a sign John three sixteen in the stands. Like yeah. they don't know what that is. No. Many of them may not even know it's a verse in the Bible. Yeah. And if they do, they wouldn't know how to look it up because they don't know what the three and the 16 mean yeah. or, or what it even represents. It's like, yeah. And again, I, I just don't think the older generation of Christians understands that. And I think that they need to step back and listen to that younger generation to go. And we're acknowledging that what they were doing on the street corner was was an effort or an attempt, mm-hmm. a good thing. Mm-hmm. My thought is, though, is that the Christian name especially the evangelical name is so looked down upon in our society that you're actually going to be not respected out there at all. And I think the church needs to step back and go, let's gain the respect of the culture for what we do, like acts of love and charity and kindness and generosity, et cetera, and compassion, before we worry about standing on street corners with signs. I just think we need to step back and go, we need to be the, that's why the, the, the mantra for this for determined truth is challenging the church to be the church. We need to step back and be the church again first. Yeah. yeah. All right. So what's, what's, what's your next one? Curtis, he had mentioned how his denomination had had a, you know, every four years they have a global conference and the idea of the American church uh, church leaders was that a representative comes in with their own flag, representing their flag. The, the utter gross feeling (laughs) that I can only imagine came from the the non-American churches Mm -hmm. where they just had this visceral reaction and uh, just the critique uh, on the Americans where it's like, you guys aren't even aware of the relationship between the church and empire that you have. And I mean, obviously I've been studying this topic for a while. We've been talking about it, but even hearing that, that, uh, that comment in a different context, which is like a, that's not abstract at that point. It's a real event that he participated right. in where it was like, like they basically are being called out for wanting to do that. And how uh, this goes back to maybe even the, I think you and I talked about it in our first episode on uh, nationalism, where we, we just said, Hey, like, Hey, no, we are, we're grateful to be Americans. Right. And there, and there's a healthy patriotism that we can have, but how easy it is to slip into Christian nationalism mm-hmm. where, where like, we might not even see that as a, as a huge mm-hmm. issue where it's just completely rejected handout mm-hmm. where it's like, why would you want to associate the, the church of Jesus, the kingdom of God with one of these other oppressive kingdoms, right? Just being reminded of that, uh, was a good word picture for me. Like, cause I could almost put myself in that situation and, and, and imagine and really empathize with 
those other church leaders on, on what that must feel like. And it kind of takes me back into conversations I've had with, uh, missionary friends, both mm-hmm. American missionaries and, and either foreign missionaries who reside in America, who I've said, Hey, what are your thoughts on this sort of thing? I remember having this conversation a few years ago with some friends who they're British, but they were living in America, you know, working over here and just saying, what, what is it like? And, and even right off the bat, they, they didn't even feel comfortable having the conversation with me. Cause I think I brought up the, maybe even the concept of having flags on stage or something like that. And it was, it was almost like looking at uh, my, one of my friends, it was almost like it was a trick question. Like, hmm. wait, why are you asking me this? <laughs> it wasn't until I determined that I was a safe person where he could actually open up and say, yeah, we have a huge issue with this, but who are we to say anything? We don't have that right. So just remembering that even as a, you know, an American citizen, an American Christian, doesn't matter if you're a you know, citizen, but if you're living in America and you're a Christian, what is it like for that, for that non-citizen to come in? Mm-hmm. Uh, the church really should be a place. It, it's this embassy of the kingdom of God. I should be able to go into a church and feel as though <clears throat> I'm at home. Yeah. And I shouldn't be reminded of the worldly kingdom. Or that I'm welcome. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, what is that communicating? And, and, and mm-hmm. same thing, if I were to go into another church, what would I feel like? I mean, if, if I just want to have a piece of home, I don't, it, I mean, you've traveled abroad. What's the longest you've been overseas before? At one time? Yeah. Uh, probably just a couple of weeks, two, a little more than two weeks at a time, 17 days. Did you get to the point where you got homesick or is that, was that short enough time where you were still okay? Well, for me, it's uh, the homesick would be missing my family. Uh-huh. And so what I've been blessed to do in most of my travels until maybe recently is I, I always had one of my kids with me. Oh, okay. Okay. So when I went to Nigeria, it was Jared. When I went to India, it was Jordan. Uh, I went to the Middle East, it was Justin. Uh, Jordan and Jerry came in the Middle East with me as well. Mackenzie's the only one that hasn't really traveled with me. Uh, no, Mackenzie did travel. Uh, we went to South America with okay. uh, Justin and, and Jordan. So yeah, so it's, it's, I've, I've had them with me and that's helped a little bit. Yeah. Well, yeah. So I remember when I was 20, I was over in Europe for the summer and I was with mm-hmm. the band because I, I used to work as a musician. And so I was there for two months in France. Uh, which is a great experience until mm-hmm. about a month into it. I was just like jonesing for anything. Cause I, I, did, I wasn't really friends with the guys in the band. It was just a gig. And I remember like finding, I found like a Mets game on TV or something like that. Mm-hmm. Right. And just like wanting something American going into a Mets we are like a minor league baseball team, right? Well, not this week. <laughs> They're spending money this <laughs> know, week. Yeah. Uh, but even I remember like we played at Disneyland Paris mm-hmm. and I was so excited because it, they had this restaurant and they had like Budweiser and it was like, oh, just something American. And I'm not endorsing booze here. It's just, it was, is yeah. that nostalgia for something home. And, and I could only imagine like, if you are not in America or if, if you're from Nigeria or wherever you're from and you go into a church and you just want to say, okay, I know on Sundays when I gather with the people of God, this is what heaven is. Mm-hmm. I, I'm experiencing the kingdom. And to go in there to be reminded that, oh, but we're actually still in another foreign occupied, occupied land. It's like, it, it kind of ruins that, mm-hmm. right? Like, no, I just want to experience what my, what my life is going to be without all without the, the the present evil age that exists. Yeah, yeah. That conversation was really helpful and, uh, that Curtis gave in terms of just painting that word, word picture mm-hmm. uh, about that. Nice. Okay, cool. So that was my second point. What's your, uh, what's your second point? Well, my second point, I think that the biggest takeaway that I would like to reiterate overall would be the conversation's really not about bashing the nation mm-hmm. as much as it is stressing the kingdom of God. And that the kingdom of God stands opposed to any nationalistic entity. Doesn't mean that we can't dwell within it and be patriotic. And we discussed all that. But the kingdom of God was Jesus' most important and common topic. And yet we have neglected that from our theology so much because we have Jesus as our savior type of mentality mm-hmm. instead of Jesus as our king. 
And when Jesus pronounces the kingdom, it's a kingdom that's actually counter to and contrary to the kingdoms of the world. And that's the essence of his parables, right? And his parables were, hey, guys, it might look like this Pharisee is like the really righteous one, and this tax collector is like this really wicked one. And look at the Pharisee. He looks up to God and prays, oh, man, what a righteous guy he is. Oh, thank you, God, that I'm not like that guy. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, because he's so great and awesome, awesome. And the, look at this tax collector. He doesn't even look up to God when he prays. And, oh, Lord, he's so wretched. He can't even look up. To... And then Jesus walks around and says, turns around and says, hey, that man went home justified. And you're like, Oh, I think I think he was a misspeak. He just let's we'll go talk to Jesus. We'll get back to you here in a few minutes, folks. He's undermining everything that we think of in terms of kingdoms and nations and politics and the way things go. So Jesus has his disciples in Mark chapter ten. They come up to he's on the way to Jerusalem, and they're starting to figure out the Jerusalem. They're heading to Jerusalem, and they're thinking, okay, this is going to be great because we're we're going to get to Jerusalem. He's going to become the king then. You know, Mark eight. Who who do you think I am? Oh, I'm the you're the Christ. Okay, cool. You got that figured out. All right. He's explained to them, yeah, and I'm going to suffer, but that's not sinking in yet. So in Mark 10, all of a sudden, James and John come up and say, Jesus, you know, we want to get to you before Peter and Andrew do. Can we sit on your right and on your left when we enter enter into the kingdom? And Jesus says, you know what? That's actually not mine to give. Mm -hmm. And of course, we realize as you keep reading the story that the people sitting on his right and on his left are the thieves on the cross. And you really don't necessarily want those seats. Mm -hmm. And then just, it says the other disciples were, were disgusted by the James and John, and angered at him. And Jesus says, hey, look, guys, he says, you know, the rulers of the Gentiles, they, they lord it over those in authority and they're great. That's the way they exercise authority. He says, but not with you. Mm-hmm. Whoever wishes to be great among you shall be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all, because even the son of man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And you can realize, this is the way the nations do it. The way power works, but this is the way Jesus' kingdom works. And we call this the, the upside down ethic. Mm-hmm. And I think, going back to what I said earlier, we got to get back to that. When we even begin to think- Wait, Let, let can... me interject real quick right here. Yeah. The, the most impactful moment of this entire series was in part two of our interview with David, when he gave a mini yeah. sermon yeah, yeah. about the upside down kingdom. Yeah. Uh, it, literally, he was brought to tears. I think we yeah, were brought to tears. Like, and that was like an authentic moment. So it yeah, I totally just... authentic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that, that was incredible when David did that. I was like, oh, and I know, I know David enough to know that was genuine and, and uh, really genuine. My thought was going to be, though, if we even begin to think that we can combine the nation and the church of any nation in the church, it just shows how fundamentally flawed our understanding of the kingdom of God is. Mm-hmm. Because the nation works by power and my military might, and by stepping on the little one. And the church works by dying for the other one. Even the thought that we can combine these two shows, we got a poor understanding of the kingdom. So I really think that that's really the biggest stress that I want to take away from this and want the listeners to take away from this, is this is really about the kingdom of God. And when we come to understand that, we begin to realize, oh, it's about Jesus as Lord, and he's the king. And yeah, I live in these kingdoms now, my brothers and sisters in Christ and these other kingdoms of the world are my brothers and sisters in Christ. And we are one family and we have one King. And that's the one that we serve. Let me ask you a hermeneutic question, a biblical interpretation sure. question that is totally your wheelhouse in revelation. Cause you're, you're using the word nation a lot here. Yeah. And I'm, I'm actually curious of this because revelation uses the word nation. It seems from my understanding in a couple different ways. So it could refer to like, Revelation five or seven, where you have peoples of all tribe, tongues, and nations. And so it's like, oh, this, this good thing, this, this multitude that no one could count right in revelation seven, it's, uh, was it seven, nine? Yeah. Seven, nine. But then you have 
a very negative connotation of nation mm-hmm. in which these are the things that raged before God's wrath came, or these are the things that, you know, trample the holy city and that sort of thing. Yeah. So are nations good or bad? Or what do we, what do we do this concept from a biblical theology? Great question. So uh, I'll answer it from a biblical theology perspective, from the context of the book of Revelation and the nations. I think there are two great themes in the book of Revelation that you have to watch the story unfold. One is the throne of God. The other one is the nations. So the souls under the altar of God in Revelation 6 cry out, how long, O Lord, how, how long are you going to wait to avenge our blood on those who have, who have shed our blood, basically? And God says, not yet. It's going to be a little, little bit longer. And the reason why there's a delay is because the nations have not been redeemed. The focus of the biblical story, Genesis through Revelation, and obviously in the book of Revelation specifically, is the redeeming of the nations. Mm-hmm. And the nations are redeemed in the book of Revelation by the faithful, loving, sacrificial witness of God's people. And I think that speaks to what we're just talking about now as well. We have to get back to this faithful, loving, sacrificial witness of God's people, because that's how the nations are redeemed. So the nations in the book of Revelation are, are essentially allied with the beast. They've received the mark of the beast. They give worship the beast. They follow the beast. And they, as a result, they persecute the people of God. And so when the two witnesses are killed, they rejoice over the death of the two witnesses because they tormented those who dwell on the earth. The nations are under the the power of the beast, but the nations are also the object of the church's witness. Hmm. So they're the ones to whom we are to to love and sacrificially lay down our lives for. And so what you see in Revelation 7 is a look forward to the end of the story of, you know, Revelation 21 says the nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring the glory into it, referring to the new Jerusalem. So the nations are what we're supposed to you know, come out of, not be a part of Revelation 18 forces, come out of from my people, come out of the nations, don't be a part of Babylon and, and all of its, its doings, but at the same time, love them. And so don't look at them as the other in the sense of, okay, we're this and we're that, but lay down your lives for them. So did that, that answer your question, Juan? Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's helpful. Because uh, that's one of those things where you, there becomes an equivocation, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and if you're not carefully tracing the story, especially through Revelation, you could immediately attach like an antecedent to nation as being either only good or only bad right. and not follow exactly what's happening. All right. Well, but, what was your third one? Uh, third one would be another more anecdotal thing that David brought up because we, we had mentioned in the last episode with him. What would you do if you're a pastor of a church and you had Veterans Day or something like that? Like, yeah, how would yeah. you celebrate that? I forget how the question was phrased. And he gave yeah, a response. That I just, I was just not ready for that. Okay. It was, it was yeah. really interesting because his, his point was, I would only have it if, if I could have a vet come up and basically talk about the negativity, uh, mm-hmm. like the negative ramifications. And it, it's interesting because it really got me thinking, like, that is a story that needs to be told more. And why are we glorifying war? Yeah, church? right. And so what, what is the proper respect to pay to people, men and women who be willing to sacrifice and serve and protect their country? And, and where is, where, where is that the other part of the line that says, but we don't celebrate this. Mm-hmm. Like, this is not a good thing that we have to engage in. And where's the noble aspect? Like, like, I honestly don't know what to do with that yet. You know, I, I don't know if I'm in a position of a like an Anabaptist or something like that, where I'd be like, you know, just utter pacifism, you know? <laughs> uh, and so I, I just like, for me, I'm still working this one out, right? But what David did give me a perspective on is saying the stories that vets should tell about yeah. the horrors of war and how this isn't just 
a Rambo movie or, you know, Band of Brothers or something where it's like, oh, it's all bad, but look at the glory of it. Uh, it's like, no, we should be legit about how awful this is. Militarization of our country is, is going crazy and people don't realize that it, that it is. You know, the, the military flyovers at, at sporting games and things of that nature. And it's been part of our nation and part of who we are and, and the religion of our society. But the reality of the fact that these people come home from war and they are mm -hmm. really struggling, they are mm -hmm. hurting. Uh, sometimes they don't come home from war. And so maybe we could use a, a day like Veterans Day to say, hey, let's care for the widows and orphans within our congregation, mm -hmm. and within our community who have lost loved ones in, in war. Or let's take this as an opportunity to bring awareness to the, the problem of the treatment of veterans in our country. Maybe the, the needs of veterans within our country, the, the fact that they need, uh, so many of them are homeless, so many of them need medical care, so many of them have PTSD, so many of them mm -hmm. have psychological illnesses, dreams and nightmares that, that, that afflict them for a lifetime. Maybe the church can say, hey, we're going to use Veterans Day as an opportunity to do, to do that, not to honor veterans who've defended our country so much. That's the nation's job, not the church's job. Mm -hmm. But the church's job is to say, we're going to use that op day as an opportunity to say, let's find a way to, to care for that. Hey, here's another group of people that are in need. And how, how can we help them with their needs? I never actually even thought about that. Maybe in the seven years I was the lead pastor, I was, I was overlooking an opportunity mm -hmm. to actually speak into a situation through this holiday. Maybe that'd be a good way to do it. That's a good point. Yeah. So a third one for you. A third one for me would just be maybe kind of putting the two things that I said earlier about the fact that it's really about the kingdom of God. And secondly, the point of the fact that this is compromising our witness in the gospel. So uh, we put those two together. You know, you made a comment just a few minutes ago that when people come into a, a church community, they should feel uh, peace at home and comfortable and, and welcomed, and that this is a place of healing. And I know I've been in churches where you read the bulletin and it comes across as if you are a member of this political party, you're welcome here mm -hmm. because the prayer requests or the praise reports were all partisan. And that community is like, yes, that's the way we feel. But you don't realize the fact that someone coming in as a visitor mm -hmm. might not be of that political persuasion. And they immediately go, okay, my political views are clearly not safe here because you have already told me your agenda. Mm -hmm. Just by reading the bulletin, and I don't think churches are realizing what, what you're doing, what you're saying here, whether it's symbols of the flags or statements of political partisanship on the bulletin, like, yeah, we're so thankful that this happened or that happened and it's some political issue, or this court case was one and not that court case, like, wait a minute, do you understand what you're doing and what you're saying here? Mm -hmm. You're bringing politics into the arena of the church. Now we can pray for our nation, pray for, that's fine. But it's totally different than praying for specific acts to win and other ones to lose. Because as soon as you say, we want this one to win, somebody else goes, I don't. Mm -hmm. I guess I'm not welcome here. Mm -hmm. And, and, and we, could say, we could say there are straight line issues that it's like, okay, this is, this is going to be alongside of a, a Christian worldview. But most of them are, most issues are not straight line like that. No, they're just not. And I do think the evangelical church has actually jumped on board on some of them on the wrong side of the bandwagon. Mm -hmm. Now, mind you, I, there, are, there are two sides to it, but many evangelicals think, no, it's, it's just this. This is the mm -hmm. only side there is. And yeah. everybody else is whatever it might be, liberal. Whatever. It's like, no, actually, I know Christians on the other side of the fence. So we already know that this is not an issue that you have to divide over. Now, I do think that Jesus wouldn't be jumping in the middle of the political mess either. So mm -hmm. let, let's keep that out. But that's the whole point. Let's keep it out. 
right? And let's talk about a, a kingdom ethic and what that looks like, or what being a disciple of Jesus Christ means, or what it means to really embrace that Jesus actually is Lord. And then I'll work that out for how I'm going to vote. You work that out for how you're going to vote. And we can talk about these things. But man, in the bulletin? Well, and even to go to that point, we, we everyone wants to claim Jesus for their political party, right? Yeah, and what yeah. you see with Jesus is, you know, this is a great example. When you have the Herodian and the Pharisee, well, which side is it going to be with Rome or is it going to be with the Jews? He's like, I got my own way of doing it. <laughs> like ne yeah. neither one of you get to claim me for what, for what you want. Like it, the kingdom of God does not look like one of these two tracks. And, yeah. and that's what happens. I think in just politics and religion where the Christians want to say, no, this is where Jesus would be. It's like, well, maybe kind of on a, on a point, but not, he wouldn't be planning his flag where you're standing at. Right. Right. Let me read a quote by Michael Gorman. If you've been listening to the podcast for now, you know who Michael Gorman is a little bit. He's one of the leading New Testament scholars in the world, uh, Pauline scholars, a great guy, a great godly man, a great leader and professor. And he says this, quote, from presidential claims, both Democrat and Republican, that the United States is the light of the world and the hope for human freedom to the language of mission that permeates military discourse, to the talk of redemptive violence the incorporation of nationalistic holidays and devotion into the, into the liturgical life of the church, the church is constantly bombarded with temptations to honor an alien Lord with an alien mission in the world. And one more thought on that uh, tangentially there. When we talk about the United States, the Christian nation, that's kind of the genesis of this whole conversation, that we're the chosen ones, you have to understand the fact that that's actually what the Roman world taught also. Mm -hmm. The Roman world was embedded with the gods put Caesar in power to maintain order in society. He's the head of the Roman household, meaning the entire empire. And then it, and it trickles down from there. And the whole idea was that the religion of the Roman empire was meant to keep order and peace and stability mm -hmm. within, the, within the empire. Now, the, the irony of all that is, is that order and peace in the empire was only enjoyed by the 3%. Yeah. It came at the expense of the 97%. We talk about the the Pax Romana, which means the peace of Rome. And it's not uncommon for Christians, and I've, I've even taught it to some extent a little bit in the past also, to say that there was no better time in the history of the Roman world or the European world for the gospel to go out with a man like Paul than at the era that Paul went out because it was the height of the Roman peace. Mm -hmm. Paul could travel the, Rome, the roads from Syria to Turkey to Greece to Rome and on to Spain with relative safety, especially because he was a Roman citizen. So he was protected even more so. And during the daylight, the, ro the roads were safe. He only had to speak one language, the Greek language, and he, God so ordained that. Mm -hmm. And the answer is, well, man, not sure I want to say it that way. Because the Roman peace came at the expense of everybody else. Rome occupied this nation, captured that nation, enslaved that nation. And then they maintained peace because they crucified anybody mm -hmm. that tried to rebel against them. And the, the brutality of Rome speaks against the idea that God so ordained the gospel to go out at this, at this one moment in time, ideally by at Paul's hand, because it was the Roman empire and nationalism and religion that kind of fostered that belief and conviction. All right. So this has been just an interesting ride over the last uh, few weeks and whatnot. I'm sure this is something that we're going to revisit again. But did you, do you have any closing thoughts, just encouragement for the, the church people who are listening to this, who have had... Uh, 
a difficult four or five weeks, however long it's been of shows listening to this and they're kind of rocked now and they don't know what a safe space is and they don't know who they could talk to They're, You know, what's the next steps for someone? One of yeah. our listeners? Bury your heart in the gospels. Just bury your heart in the gospels. Start there. Read, you know, I'm doing a series right now and the podcasts are being loaded on the, on the kingdom of God right now. So you can listen to those podcasts or you can join our, our class. If you're listening to these in 2021, understand Jesus, understanding the kingdom and understand what it's all about and go from there and then begin to kind of listen to some of the younger voices. And why are you guys saying the things you're saying? What are, what's your views of, of the church and the world? And, and then the gospel is good news. That's the thing to be reminded of. The gospel really is good news. It's liberating. It's, it gives hope. It gives life. It brings justice to this fallen world. And it works through us. And we need to be that light of the world. And that, that light shining in the darkness is us. How about you? Anything you have? Just keep praying Amen. And, and listen to other voices out there. And it, it's difficult because you might not know who to trust. So you might not know what, what voices to listen. I've had friends who have been down this road and they, I think they hear the wrong voices. Mm. And, and unfortunately, I think they get let down, led down a path where now they can't trust anything in evangelicalism. They can't trust anything within mm. the church because uh, it's all corrupt, right? Because uh, the well has been poisoned. And I, I don't think that absolute is correct. And so I would just say, you know, pray for wisdom, pray for discernment. I would say glean from your teaching, Rob, learn about the kingdom of God, because mm -hmm. if, if you could settle on anything, you could settle on that the kingdom of God is true and that Jesus reigns. Amen. So if, if that's all you have, then that's enough. Amen. Amen. So great. Say, so, hey, hope everyone has a great holiday season coming up. Got a couple more. Is this going to be the last show that we're going to have? We've got while? one more episode on that's right. the week of Christmas, which we'll do on the birth of Christ as the birth of the King. That's right. And so just keeping in this theme of the kingdom of God, like, yeah, we talk about the birth of Jesus so much that we leave him as a little baby in a manger and forget the fact that this is the announcement of the King. So we want to talk about what does that mean? We will do that. Hope everyone has a great week. and We'll see you guys soon. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Please subscribe to and like our podcast. You can follow Rob's blog at determinedtruth.com or purchase his books on amazon.com. See you next time.